Blog Talk Radio. Hello, all my dear friends. This is your spokesman with the plan, Clarence Cloverleaf, welcoming you to Cloverleaf Radio on the JIA Network. You can listen to our shows on close to 20 different streaming platforms, including Anchor, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Radio Public, and YouTube, to name a few. I've helped compile a list of our best guests since 2008, and those interviews have been scattered about the cloud, as they say. Something I thought we only received rain from. (laughs) Go figure. So, go find yourself a good one, and you can listen 24-7, 365, to guests from all genres of entertainment. You'll never know who could show up. Check out www.jianetwork.com. And now, on to the main event with your host, the host with the most, Jimmy Falcon. And, well, quite frankly, anyone as his guest. Hey, this is actress Brianna Densky. You may know me best as playing June in the film Wonder Park. And you're listening to Cloverleaf Radio, hosted by the host with the most, Jimmy Falcon. All righty, we are back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I am the host with the most, Jimmy Falcon, and joining us today is criminologist, author, and I believe is a former hockey player as well. This guy's done all, a bunch of awesome stuff. <laughs> Steve Giangelo, how's it going? It is going good. You had all kinds of stuff down there. Yeah, the hockey, I guess, was something I didn't—I never realized or had never stumbled upon before. Uh, did you look that up? Is it, was this a little research work, or uh, how did you hear about that? Around, yeah, I, I don't know how I hadn't. Uh, yeah, just the Google. Um, I don't know how I didn't see it the last uh, couple times we talked. I just must have missed it or something. Yeah. But how, how are you? you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. I guess uh, starting off, I was curious about the hockey. I didn't want to ask that real quick. Uh, it's a pretty awesome game. I, I could never see myself doing it because especially uh, ice hockey, I got those chubby ankles and I was never good at ice skating. But uh, overall, how did you, uh, how and why did you decide to do hockey? Well, I grew up in Boston, which is a big hockey town. And uh, I had a, a pond across the street, which I essentially lived on <laughs> as often as I could. Played hockey as long as I can remember. Ended up playing high school and, and college hockey and moved on. Played uh, uh, semi-pro after that and coached a little bit. And, yeah, I spent most of my life in hockey. Very cool. Yeah, Boston, that's very cool. A whole lot of – you made a good point, I guess uh, – a lot of the East Coast and going up to Canada, of course, is pretty big on hockey. And yeah, maybe us yeah, being in the time. Midwest so much, we're not so much. I did check out a Riverman's game some years back. But I guess it's maybe not something that uh, the farm boys of Illinois have uh, tried to venture across. Well, you know, it's been getting bigger that way. It's been coming across the country. The more the uh, the sport expands, you know, you've got it going all the way west, you know, and you've got NHL players coming from California and Arizona, different places. So it is a, it's it's expanding in a big way. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, I guess how did playing hockey for all those years and coaching and everything lead, uh, or how did all this come involved with uh, your serial killer fascination and writing the books and everything? 
Well, the, the overlap there is that uh, I went <clears throat> to undergrad school in uh, in New England where I played hockey. Uh, then after graduating, I came out to the Midwest to play for a team in the Continental Hockey League. And I, I thought I would be here for just a little while, but I ended up playing for a few years and kind of settled in, uh, attended grad school, and and I ended up staying here. So hockey actually brought me to where I ended up starting my my studies and moving on to the next level of my life. And I guess the question I'm sure you've been asked a million times, I know I've asked it to to many uh, numerous facets of people, but what makes someone, what compels uh, one person to kill another person? Wow, that is one open-ended question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give you an answer that a serial killer gave me. Uh, He said uh, one of the biggest mistakes that all of these doctors and all of these experts make is that they think that there is some kind of a formula for a serial killer, and it just doesn't exist. And I know I spent decades before I figured that out, too. You just simply have to look at each case on a case-by-case basis. You look at some of the patterns. A A lot of killers have overlapping patterns. And then you look at somebody who doesn't fit at all, and you're just going to have to understand that. Different people kill for different reasons. Yeah, and psychology uh, plays so much into that, and being that you later uh, obtaining your master's degree in forensic psychology had to have helped you uh, try to answer those questions a little better than just being an average Joe like myself uh, looking from the outside. Right. I I, uh, started grad school uh, looking at clinical psych, and I found out that I could do an emphasis in criminal or Um, uh, forensic psychology, which was much more in tune to what I wanted to study, and uh, never ended from there. You know, it was something that I was always interested in anyway, so uh, it fit perfectly. Yeah, it's so interesting to a lot of people. And I try to tell someone, um, you know, when I bring up Dark History Con, for example, that uh, we all just want to learn why someone would do this and uh, try to become more informed, or just, right. you know, give our two cents on certain opinions. It's not to glorify anybody, uh, any murders. Uh, Brian Ward made a great uh, point the other day that the victims are the ones that should be uh, highlighted and remembered and not the people that took their lives. That's absolutely true. Uh, unfortunately, it's not. We don't, we don't live in a society that will remember the victims properly. Uh, it's It's been true uh, from the 70s when I first started looking at this stuff to today. Um uh, if if somebody is looking at a, a documentary or a particular story, the victims' names will come up, but the things they remember are the people that committed the crimes, which is unfortunate. Absolutely. I mean, you open up any history book and, you know, any uh, kind of serial killer book, and you have all the faces of John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy, uh, but you're, like you said, you're not hearing so much about, <clears throat> you know, the women uh, and the the younger men and everything that were uh, taken out of this world by these sadistic creatures. Right. Absolutely true. Yep. Being that you have uh, worked, had a lot of years uh, working in this field, what was kind of the craziest case you've come across? Chase? Uh, the case, sorry. Oh, case, I'm sorry. Um, I have to say, I have to go back to uh, the interviews I had with 
the uh, serial killer that's featured in my book. I mean, uh, uh, there were a lot of cases that were interesting that that sort of had similarities to them, but didn't have that that um, that bite to it. And uh, when uh, you sit down with one of these individuals and they start explaining things to you, it, it feels like a completely different thing. I can tell you that uh, when I was done talking to this guy, I sat out in the uh, in the car uh, in the uh, prison parking lot, and I kind of had a snap out of it a little bit because you felt like you went someplace else. So I think that that experience is the one thing that I would characterize as a highlight of, of the study of this uh, this topic. Oh, yeah, we can all, you know, the average Joe or Jane could sit down and watch any documentary, but when you're face-to-face with someone like that, it's got to be uh, very trying and even scary and emotional. It is, and for a number of different reasons, because I know in this particular case, I, I describe this guy as being somebody that I could, on another day, see me sitting in a bar watching a Blackhawks game with and not think anything of it. I can I can think of more objectionable people I've been around than this guy on the surface. So you right. can see how people like that can hide in plain sight and how they operate in our society. Uh, on the other hand, once you get into some of the conversation and some of the detail and the way he would honestly answer questions that would sort of take your breath away when he wasn't trying to, it, you realized you were, you were someplace else. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, the best clear-cut person that does not look or would not look like a murderer would be Ted Bundy. And I right. think a lot of women probably found him attractive even after all this stuff came out. Um, they do today. But that's one person. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can look at like uh, Ted Kaczynski and go, that guy is nuts. But I mean, you look right. at Ted Bunny right. in a certain angle and you go, this guy looks, he looks like a straight shooter, nice guy, big smile, you know. Yeah, and you can even look at people that weren't pretty, like Gacy, I mean, who was kind of an obnoxious little, you know, uh, arrogant type of guy, but not much different than a lot of people you meet in Chicago, honestly. So, yeah, uh, a lot of these guys do appear to be normal on the surface. Oh, yeah, I remember Gacy uh, was involved with a lot of clubs uh, and worked, uh, you know, had a nice uh, manager position at Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, and had a he wife did. and had just, uh, the, you know, the normal life to, you know, just your neighbor, hi, how you doing? Uh, hey, he was J.C. of the year. Day, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it really is uh, interesting when you boil it down to that not one thing can make someone sadistic or a serial killer. Right. Um, you know, you look at different experiences some people had. I mean, some had very obvious extreme trauma, whether you're talking about sexual or, or emotional, psychological trauma that you can say, geez, you know, after a while, like a, like a Kyle Panzeram who was basically tortured his whole life, right. you can understand this person is angry and wants to kill everybody, and I don't blame them, you know. And then you can look at a Bundy and, you know, some of the reasons they give for him, you know, finding out that he was adopted, finding out his sister is his mom. Or, or being rejected by a woman that he thought he loved. I, I, none of that seems on the surface to be a reason to go kill women for the rest of your adult life. So, um, you know, you go from one thing to another in, in a hurry. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I think it was a few years ago when I was talking to John Borowski and first heard about Carl Panzerum, but that guy was utterly what you could say, uh, this guy is crazy, is a serial killer, had no remorse whatsoever, and, right. and really got off on these killings. 
But he was an, an excellent example of somebody who appears to be uh, one that learned his anger for everybody through his experiences, through his outrageous experiences, where other killers, possibly a Bundy, possibly a, an Ed Kemper, um, might have been that way biologically, just born that way. I mean, it, it boils down to that old criminology issue about nature and nurture, but it's it's true. You can't nail down one or the other. You have to look at the case-by-case case basis. Yeah, I mean, thinking he was so young, I think it was like 1899 or something, he was in juvenile court for being drunk and disorder. He was like seven years old or something. I mean, that's that's yeah, tough upbringing. Yeah. And then he goes to one of those, you know, kids' correctional reformatory schools, and they teach him how to be a criminal, and off you go. Right. I've heard that from a lot of people. Uh, you know, someone gets uh, in prison for a white-collar crime, so to say, and right. you're in perfect training ground to become a sadistic bank robber or murderer. I mean, you have the textbooks right in front of you as these people. Absolutely. The correctional system is is your best uh, teaching grounds, for for sure. And do you think anything um, could be, I mean, I'm sure they've done a lot to curbtail that, but do you think more could be done uh, so that wasn't such an issue? Um, Well, that's a difficult question. Uh, I don't know that you can... keep people that are, are lifetime criminals from influencing younger criminals. Um, a lot of criminals who hang around with criminals when they're not in the correctional system are learning from them as well. So I don't know that that's a possibility. Maybe somebody who's more of an expert on, on, on the, uh, the correction system might argue with that, but uh, I don't know how you change that system to avoid that kind of influence. I guess it's true when you boil it down that someone's always, they're going to get next to you somehow. You know, if you're in the right. yard, you be in the right. showers, um, that influence is always going to be there. Sure. Right. And and, and you come all the way back to serial killers and people like Bundy. Nobody taught him anything. This guy just decided right. he wanted to do the things that he did. That's true. That's a very good point. And uh, murderabilia, as it's put, uh, is a really big market and uh you have a lot of great pieces uh, in that field, including a Gacy painting. Um, why did you decide to, uh, you know, start buying and possessing these interesting pieces of memorabilia? Well, the the first major one was the uh, the Pogo the Clown painting by uh, John Wayne Gacy, which is probably the most famous iconic piece of memorabilia out there. I've I've looked at it from two ways. Just as an educator, I teach uh, uh, criminology uh, at university. And when I bring paintings by John Wayne Gacy in, which I did this Monday night, for instance, um, I will have a room full of kids who might not have made a peep for the last four weeks suddenly fall out of their chairs. And we start talking about (laughs) things that they didn't think that they would talk about, getting out of their seats and taking cell phone pictures and sending them home. I mean, it, it starts the conversation. Um, the other part of that is uh, going back to clinical psychology training. A lot of times they will tell you that, you know, look at artwork, look at some of the things that people put down on paper, whether it's a letter or it's artwork. When, you know, something that hasn't been forced, something that somebody just produces, and it could tell you some things about what's going on in somebody's head. Oh, absolutely. Art is very interpretive. Right. 
And I think that, I mean, I'm not even sure. I have a few pieces. One of the prizes of my collection is a piece of the fireplace from Sharon Tate and Rowan Polanski's house. But, uh, Where'd you, get you know, that? I think it maybe. Oh, I got that from uh, a man that I interviewed uh, many years ago that runs Daily Departed Tours in Hollywood. Oh, well, that's outstanding. Yeah, he, um, when they knocked the place down, he went by and grabbed, like, a bunch of, you know, bricks and whatnot, and he got a brick from the fireplace and uh, knocked off a piece, and I got it in my collection. So I'm very happy to have that. And, uh, you know, I think maybe it just goes back to wanting to know more about, you know, what, what could these people have been thinking during this night or during this sadistic event. Sure. I mean, it really is uh, just a piece of history and nothing more. Um, I One thing I like to bring out in conversations in class is how people feel about it, whether they think that it's inappropriate, if it's unfair, if it's uh, insensitive, or if it's just another piece of history that people look at and maybe remember stuff that they should remember, that they should be looking at, they should be studying. So, uh, you know, it's, it's up to the individual. I have very passionate believers on both sides, which makes for an interesting conversation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could see how someone, uh, I could see how Fred Goldman uh, wouldn't want to see someone buying an O.J. Simpson signed football since that's, uh, right. you know, those are now part of uh, murderabilia, not that's a sports collectible, um, so, yeah, I could understand, uh, you know, coming from that side of the aisle, if you're a victim or a member of the family, how that would right. piss you off. I mean, it would piss me off, uh, absolutely. Uh, but sure. at the same time, I think, you know, as you said, it is history. Uh, you have to remember it no matter how sadistic it is, because if you don't, you're doomed to repeat it. And uh, serial killers and murder is uh, one of those things. Right, right. And I, I have to be fair and uh, and look at the like one time that I actually looked at it from the other side. I mean, I've, I've, I've been hanging on to this stuff mostly related to serial murder for decades. And um, I had somebody offer me something from a, a uh, terrorist who uh, killed uh, law enforcement personnel. And I thought, I have no interest in that. And I you know, it sort of struck me personally. It's the kind of thing that I'm not interested in. I don't like it. It bothers me. So right. I can see that. I can see how somebody else might look at some other stuff that I have that just might bother them. So I don't condone or, or uh, you know, give people a hard time about not agreeing with me on the historical angle. It's a reasonable position either way. Yeah, someone calls you up and they're like, hey, Steve, we have a button for more than 9-11 hijackers. You're like, well, what? why in the hell would I want that? That's that's yeah. one of those big things that I think still unites a lot of Americans and where we can sure. look from that side and go, look, this is pretty effed up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There was a woman who was involved in the um, the Holmes uh, mass shooting in Colorado, you know, that, that right. Batman Joker guy. And uh, she was selling uh, buckshot, for lack of a better word, or pellets that were in her arm that were removed. And a lot of oh people thought that was really tacky, really, really over the line. And I just, I don't know that I have an opinion one way or the other. I guess if she wants to make $1,500 selling that, that's up to her. But yeah. um, you know, <laughs> it got a lot of people's attention. I would almost think you're exploiting yourself in that situation. You're going to look at, you know, you might have a friend that looks, looks at you now and goes, oh, my God, this chick has lost her freaking mind. Right, right. That's just it. It's hard to have the actual victim sell something like that and 
Right. I don't want to say they don't deserve sympathy anymore. Of course they do. But it's just going to have people look at him sideways and go, really? Is that what you did? <laughs> but that's up to them. That's their call. Absolutely. Well, of course, we got Dark History Con coming up this weekend, and you're uh, thankfully going to be joining us again, so I can't wait for that. Uh, yes. As far as anything else goes, what does the future hold for you, Steve? Well, I, I recently uh, heard from my publisher uh, that they're interested in doing a, uh, a second edition on my, my book, Real Life Monsters, which is really exciting to me. Um, this, uh, you know, I did my first book in 1996, and it seemed like the topic needed to be revised five years later just because it changes so much and there's so much research right. and, and, and cases and things. Uh, so I always want to stay on top of it. So to have them uh, be uh, all over it like that, which which is really – it's exciting to me. I'm really uh, ready to get into that and dive into, into that next edition. Yeah, that's great that uh, you're looking to do some more uh, authoring work. It's never easy sitting down and trying to put – uh, pad to paper or finger to keyboard, as it were. But, um, you know, I think especially what you're doing deserves to be read and, uh, you know, the history deserves to be kept and passed on for the next generations. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, no problem, Steve. And I appreciate you coming back on today. It's always nice talking with you. Very informative. Always great. Always enjoy talking to you. All right, Steve, I'll see you this weekend. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night and be safe. Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys, if you just joined us, you can go back in about 10 minutes. Uh, hopefully this should be up in the archive by then. I'm always kind of funky on that because it doesn't seem to have a certain amount of time, like it's 10 minutes, uh, 20 minutes. I guess maybe it depends on uh, the length of the episode. But if you missed the early conversations, there was a lot of great stuff to learn there, so be sure and join us. Of course, uh, Dark History of Horror Con coming out October 26th and 27th this weekend at the City Center in Champaign, Illinois. Cannot wait. This will be the fifth year I have been helping uh, where I can. Of course, I was wish we could do more uh, with Brian and Dark History Con. And like I said, I think it's a great uh, call out, a great event, uh, somewhere you can really get out and learn more about uh, murder, serial killers, gangsters, uh, and meet some stars and uh, have a lot of fun. It's very informative and uh, a great family-friendly atmosphere. You can check out dhhcon.com or the city center, or com uh, for more information, ticket prices, guests, vendors, and so much more. We have no more shows scheduled before Dark History Con. Uh, I'm just going to try to get all my last little uh, ducks in a row before we get ready for that, uh, but I believe we're going to be back Tuesday, I have to confirm uh, the date still. Uh, but when I do, all that stuff will be on uh, my Facebook, facebook.com backslash the only host at the most. And also uh, on the JA Network Facebook page, you can check out janetwork.com. And of course, we're streaming on almost 20 different platforms Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, Blog Talk, Podbean, Radio Public and so much more. So check us out where and when you can. There's, holy cow, nearly 12 years of Cloverleaf archives uh, flying around the cloud on two different blog talks and all these other uh, streaming sites. So lots of great stuff for a rainy day or if you're out on a hike 
and want to listen to some wonderful guests and get some nice information, be sure and check us out. We will see you guys at Dark History and HorrorCon, and we'll be back hopefully on Tuesday. And, of course, all that will be finalized when I can. Big thanks again to Steve D'Angelo for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night. This is professional wrestler Jimmy Vega. Booker Booker Man, tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare. Don't you dare miss this one. Clover Leaf Radio with Jimmy Falcon. Oh, yeah.